A reading from Exodus. While Moses was on Mount Sinai, the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain. The people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Uh, Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off your rings of gold and from the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. (laughs) And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I have commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who have brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The word of the Lord. A reading from the Psalms. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world. The earth trees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness, and all the people see his glory. All worshippers of images are put to shame, who make their boasts in worthless idols. Worship him, all you gods. Zion hears and is glad, and the daughters of Judah rejoice, because of your judgments, O Lord. For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. O you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous, and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen.
reading from Colossians. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created. In heaven and in earth. Visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions. Or rulers or authorities. All, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent. For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless, and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which, which has, has been, been proclaimed, proclaimed in all... This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, and broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, and he said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he, he gave it to them, saying, Drink all of it for you, this is my, the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for this opportunity for us as youth to serve you uh, and please help Lily and I to be good conduits of your word to your people. Amen. Please be seated. Hi, I'm Eli Hamer. I'm a senior at Orno High School. If you haven't been here the past couple weeks, we are starting a sermon series on the Ten Commandments and this week we are discussing the second. You shall not create or serve idols. But first, let's take a step back. Last week, Christian talked about the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That sounds pretty similar to idol worship. So how is this commandment any different? It is the indication that the people still have not entirely abandoned the idea of Yahweh, but instead worship him in a twisted manner. We see this most clearly in our Exodus reading. After the Israelites create the golden calf, Aaron says, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. This reference to the calf as somehow standing in place and name of God shows us that this is indeed not entirely the same as worshiping other gods, although it does exhibit some similarities. Now, any time that I have heard the reading of the Ten Commandments, whether in my earliest days at Sunday school, during youth group, or in reading the Bible on my own, I've often thought this second commandment to be so glaringly obvious and easy to follow. These people, the Israelites, had just been saved by God from their Egyptian overlords. And he simply asked that they worship no carved images? It seems like a pretty sweet deal to me. Yet only around 40 days after God gave Moses this command, 
we see them perform this very forbidden act in Exodus 32. The people give up their golden jewelry and forge a large calf to worship Yahweh. This is important. Notice, the Israelites do not go halfway here by making their new image of God out of straw or stone or some other less valuable material. But they go so far as to give up their gold to the creation of this beast. Keep in mind also the source of these valuables. This was wealth given to them by God through the terrified Egyptians as Israel left Egypt. This quick turnaround is surprising. How did these people break a commandment that seems so simple to uphold so fast? Because it's easy. It's easy to look at a visual representation, a statue or person, and proclaim that this is your powerful ruler, your God. It is one of the reasons the Israelites so desperately wanted a king like their neighbors. They wanted a king so they could see their authority figure. It is far more difficult to trust something you cannot see. Thus, the Israelites created an idol for them to treat as God. This is a way sin often traps us, by offering us the easy way, the path of least resistance that is present before our eyes, even as God calls us to the narrow gate. Look at another of our readings. Psalm 97 shows the glory of creation and God's complete power over it all. In verse 4, his lightnings light up the world, the earth sees and trembles. Verse 5, the mountains melt like wax before the Lord. God's glory is often expressed through his wonderful creation, as we can see outside in nature today, or in the way we are each wonderfully made in his image. But that does not constitute Israelites, the Israelites' worship of the golden calf in this instance. While it may be beautiful, it has no power. In this, the people of Israel are setting the creation of the Lord above the creator himself. The way I thought of this was thanking the food your mother prepared for you for being delicious, as opposed to giving your compliments to the chef herself. When put in these terms, the wrongness of sin is laid bare. The Israelites are missing the whole point of God's will, that you will be my people and I will be your God. By creating this calf and other idols, God's people, including us, settle for less, taking God's providence and turning it into false glory. By creating this calf to be worshipped as Yahweh, the Israelites place a mediator between God and the people, a role meant for Christ. In this action of using the idol as a placeholder for God, the people in many ways separate him from their own lives treating him as many people of that time would their gods, simply powerful beings to be at best appeased, when in fact God's love is for his people, and he desires a relationship with each one of them, each one of you. When we create idols that we worship in place of God, we act as though we have God in a box, our own little magic pet. We say, I'll set him over here and deal with him later, or... God won't be happy with me today. I'll just avoid him. This brings to mind a time in my life when I vividly, vividly recall treating God as a magic formula from which I could extract whatever I wanted should I simply appease him. I was in ninth grade and had just started playing a new video game, and I remember going to 
read my Bible for 10 or 15 minutes just before I would play the game that day in an effort to obtain whatever supernatural luck or favor I could win (laughs) to earn fake internet points. I laugh at its silliness now, but this is a real example of how easy it can be to idolize images or ideas in one's day-to-day life. Well, I'm sure many of you haven't had the exact same experience. Maybe you go out of your way to be good before a meeting or test in order to gain favor with God for later. Now, that is not to say that our faith should be entirely separate from our lives at work or school. On the contrary, God calls us to be disciples of him throughout our lives. But using God as a means to an end is specifically what this commandment speaks against. It can be easy to look at the second commandment and see that it is simple, obvious, or difficult to break. However, God gave us this word for a reason, knowing our thoughts before we form them ourselves. And the quick turning way of the Israelites along with their recurring idol worship in later books, speaks to its danger. We must stop settling for less and take God on his word. I am the Lord your God. Hi, I'm Lily Jacobs. I'm a senior at Trinity School. You probably have seen me playing piano up front. I'm taking an art class this semester, and one of the class's focuses is on figure drawing and painting the human form. In order to be able to draw an accurate, proportional human body, one thing we've been doing in these first few weeks of classes is to copy pre-existing pieces of art. Instead of throwing us straight into painting from a live model, my art teacher spread dozens of famous paintings with people in different poses and from different angles over the tables and told us each to pick one out to recreate, or attempt to recreate. We start with a grid coordinate system and then a straight line construction to get the big shapes and shadow forms down right. Lastly, we slowly start to break those straight lines down into curves and shadows, all the small details that make up human features. Slowly, over the course of the class, I've been able to see a person start to show up on my paper But one thing I am struck by every time I try to recreate another artist's piece is how I can never get it quite right. No matter how exact I think my angles are or how proportionate the value ratios I think are, I can never make a perfect image of the art I'm trying to reference. This goes for most copies of original art actually, not just projects in high school art class. Sometimes there are pretty close replicas but you can typically just tell when something is a copy. There is something in an original piece that is unable to be totally replicated, and you can't ever quite do it justice by making an image of it. Only the artist themselves can. In ancient times, idolatry was often like this. Now, I'm not saying that you're breaking the second commandment when you try to learn by others' artistic examples. It's a great way of learning how to create art. However, Looking at the incomplete copy as a substitute for the original thing, in the case of idolatry, God himself, is pretty illogical. In the time of the Exodus, people were even aware of this. They believed that idols only ever contained a part of a god, and so idols actually provided an added layer of separation between them and their gods. As we think about the cultural context of idolatry and its incomplete portrayal of gods, It is helpful to look at our Colossians reading, 
which discusses Jesus' role as the perfect image bearer of God. This passage pre presents a completely different picture of what it means to be an image of a God, in this case, the one true God. In verse 18, Paul writes that Jesus was with God from the beginning and that he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Through Jesus, the perfect image of God, the rest of creation was created. This presents a foil to idolatry, which is humans creating idols for themselves out of pre-existing objects in creation. Paul writes of creation out of the image of God, not of making an image out of creation. Jesus isn't something other than God put in the place of God. He is the one through whom everything else was made. Paul also specifically mentions things that are made through Christ that are traditionally worshiped by themselves. When he says, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. It's notable that these things, rulers and authorities, power, etc., are not unique to the context in which Paul is writing, nor is the worship of them either official or not. In fact, they're often idolized in the world today. We can easily live our lives by these idols, looking toward creation as our highest authority instead of through it toward the creator himself. God created rulers, authorities, and dominions to, in ideal circumstances, point toward him. They can be very good, but no matter how good they are, they will never be perfect authorities. In fact, their incompleteness is necessary to point beyond themselves to God. That insufficiency makes us long for what's perfect. Just think about some of the best kings or rulers in history, and then how much better the perfect king would be. Earthly authorities can never be perfect images of God's authority or dominion, but should rather mirror him in some ways and make us desire God himself more. A bit more abstractly, the word authorities that Paul uses could be expanded from just civil leaders to groups, ideologies, and even objects. You could see the leader of a certain political party as an authority, sure, but what we often don't think of are bosses, schedules, phones, all things that can dictate how we live our lives just as much as any person making speeches. Bosses and teachers can and should be helpful resources and authorities, but it is also super easy to start to see them as the ultimate authorities in your life in harmful ways. The same goes for phones and schedules. These are things, created things, that are designed to make our lives easier in key ways, and they do. They can be very good and beneficial, but can never and should never play God. Phones easily become the things you pick up whenever you're waiting in line in a store, or need the answer for a random question, or even when you're bored at home. It might be a little more difficult to see how we can make schedules into idols, but just think of how hard it is to actually engage in a conversation when you realize you're late for something, or when you feel like you have to cram every moment of your day with something productive rather than taking time to rest. These tools that are created to help us be better stewards can turn into obsessions and idols. In Christ, however, God did something completely different. In him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Instead of being lacking and insufficient, like typical idols and images of God's were, Jesus is fully God, preeminent in everything. 
And God didn't need to be begged to fill Jesus with his fullness either. Unlike the other false gods in that time, God willingly and completely came down in the form of Jesus. Have you ever picked up a book and gotten a good chunk of the way through it before you realize that it is an abridged version, missing key language, important imagery, or sometimes an entire subplot? In my opinion, at least, it's a frustrating feeling. You don't experience the entire book. There's a level of separation between you and the original. To be clear, I'm definitely not saying abridged versions are worthless. But when you unsuspectingly open a book, hoping to read everything the author wrote, it is a disappointment. God didn't give us the abridged version of himself. He gave us the perfect, complete image to show himself and his being. Jesus isn't the diluted version of God or junior God. Idolatry breaks the created order. There is God, there is creation, there is Jesus, and there is us. Creation is not God, and neither are we. Jesus is also not just part of creation, but rather the instrument through which creation came to be. Throughout time, humans seem to best understand concepts by making examples. We make diagrams of complicated engineering designs. We write papers on obscure philosophical theories. We draw pictures and take photos of beauty we can't describe in words. The act of making idols stems out of that urge, too. We try to make complex concepts accessible in ways we can wrap our mind around easily. God knew this about us before he created us, and Jesus was his answer to that. He gave us something that we could understand, a fellow human being, and also something completely mysterious, himself, in a single package. And somehow, in ways we cannot completely fathom, Jesus contains all the fullness of God. God didn't give us the watered-down version, and he doesn't want us to create watered-down versions for ourselves, either. This Colossians reading directs us to the perfection of God's image in Christ, and puts another spin on the second commandment's logic. Why create incomplete, insufficient false gods for ourselves when we were given the fullness of God in human form? It is also a reminder that creation exists to point beyond itself to God, and we should treat it and respect it as such, but no more than that. For complete and perfect power, dominion, and authority, we should turn to the creator himself through Christ, his perfect image.